I'm Stephen Aaron Dinehart IV. Welcome to the Giant Lands Podcast, hosted by Amusement Sparks, with your host, Andrew Spawn. We're back. Welcome to the Giant Lands Podcast. This is Andrew Spawn, and today's guest is Penny Williams. Not only is she the game editor for Giant Lands, but she has had a very significant career. Uh, she worked at TSR, she ran the RPGA for them, and she also worked at Wizards of the Coast in the past. And throughout her entire career, she's been able to hold on to one of her other main passions, which is education. She's been a, a tutor or a teacher through most of her career. As you'll see, there's a lot to talk about and delve into as she was a pioneer in the early days of, of role-playing games as we know them today. Without further ado, here's the interview. But I'm curious, um, your your story with TSR. Well, it's more like my story with gaming and how that started. Um, I was in college uh, going for a degree in chemistry and... Uh, and my boyfriend at the time was into D&D. This was the 70s. So uh, we're talking the box set, the first box set. Yeah. And, uh, and so I watched him and his cronies play a few times, <laughs> very quietly. And then I went to their uh, local game store, which was in my hometown, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And I bought the books. And I read them, didn't tell anybody until finally I said, uh, guys, I have a campaign if you guys would like to try it out. And pretty wow. much from then on, I was their DM. That is so cool. I bet their jaws completely dropped, especially if you've just been quietly in the corner this whole time, secretly yeah, studying. What a cool reveal that must have been in the moment. Mm -hmm. Were you into fantasy and like genre fiction before? college before this time period i was into pretty much everything that was written in a book um, <laughs> i was high school i was uh, one of the nerds the uh outcast group and um i was a voracious reader and read pretty much everything i could get my hands on i read shakespeare when i was in junior high just wow. because my parents had it um so yeah, you could say that I I had some knowledge of genre fiction. Um, my nieces and nephews introduced me to Lord of the Rings and uh, kind of got me started in that direction. And uh, so picking up D&D was not all that difficult. Mm -hmm. um, Do you have a lot of memories of that first campaign that you created? Because I imagine your initial one had a lot of well, it might have had a lot of meaning or also might, might have just been a rough draft that you threw in the waste paper basket after that. Uh, well, let's see. It was um, kind of interesting. I guess, uh, I guess it was a, uh, an epic uh, undertaking. Um, never got to explore all of it. But my basic idea that I started with was that uh, the characters were... Um, natives of a certain planet uh, 
they were sort of medieval barbaric types uh, as D&D characters are, and they didn't really know the history of their own planet till they found an installation, a dungeon, and uh, began exploring it and discovered that all of the uh, levels seemed to have some high technology items. And eventually they figured out that each level uh, was a gateway to a um, time period on another planet. Wow. The previous inhabitants of this place had been scholars studying other worlds and, uh, and their histories. So, of course, they were in the, the installation representing Earth, uh, that being kind of the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. And eventually they stumbled into one of the transporters and ended up in um, ancient Greece on Earth. Because I was wow. a very big mythology fan. That sounds really cool as a setting and then being able to do almost a different setting on each floor of the dungeon. Yes. Wow. Yes. It could have taken them <laughs> literally anywhere I wanted them to go. It could have taken them to any um, of the fantasy planets that I had read about in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much anything. Wow. Um, but it took them first to ancient Greece and that's pretty much where most of the campaign happened Mm -hmm. Um, and when they got there they discovered that they they were very fond of calling on the gods for divine intervention when they were in trouble (laughs) Um, I noticed this from their other campaigns Uh and uh, they found out when they tried this that the gods hated them because the gods were the previous inhabitants of this planet that their race had chased out. Oh, cool. Went to the place that they'd been studying. And of course, they were so technologically advanced that uh, they were gods. Wow. Were they the ones who built that dungeon as well? Yeah. Man, mm-hmm. that's cool. Huh. Uh, yeah, that is a that's an amazing campaign setting. That's really cool. And I wonder where did you get the idea for that? Because that's pretty unlike anything that would have been in those books that you read from Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, there wasn't really anything like that. I guess I just sort of cooked it up myself after mm-hmm. I realized what the, what the game was capable of. Yeah. I was it, just reading the books and, hey, wow, you could do anything with this. Right. It's it's a really cool system, very versatile. And it is also fun to get to design the campaign around those players. Like, you know, they tend to do this. Uh, they tend to lean on the gods when they need help. And that might be an irritating thing to someone observing them. And so you're like, well, you know, we can subvert uh, their expectations of what's going to happen here. That's really fun to get to customize the campaign to your specific players. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like your first experience so you hadn't played before right you'd observed and then you jumped right into running the game wow (laughs) very cool that's awesome and then where did your story go from there as far as role-playing games go well i ran that campaign for quite a number of years and um went to a couple of game conventions and i think the first convention i went to was morgantown west virginia and it was there that i met um, several of the TSR folk um, played in a game with Jim Ward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I met 
uh, Skip Williams there, except that neither of us can remember actually meeting one another we <laughs> ourselves in the same place at the same time. Interesting. Um, so I learned a lot from that first game convention and uh, met several other people that did game conventions and uh, managed to get myself um, on a group that was going to Gen Con. Mm-hmm. I was still in um, Kenosha at the time and went there, met, met more people, uh, did some volunteer work at the convention itself, got really hooked on game conventions. Cool. And, uh, do you know what year that was? Which Gen Con? Oh my goodness. I, I can't remember. I could probably figure it out. Right. It was post-college, but within a few years of that, maybe, do you think? Oh yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, cool. And then, uh, ended up getting into, uh, getting asked by some of my new friends, uh, at TSR to help with other game conventions. There was a, uh, we went to a Gen Con South. We went to, um, there was a Gen Con East that got dropped by its organizers and TSR had to pick that up. And Skip was in charge of the Gen Con department at the time. Hmm. Um, and he managed to grab some volunteers that Frank Metzer had um, talked into helping out. We, we did the Philly Folk Festival and um, they occupied most of the uh, executive positions, registration and security and so forth. And uh, my volunteers from Ohio that I scrabbled together from my various gaming groups um, were the grunts for all of those departments and did the volunteer work there. And we managed to pull the convention out of the gutter as it were and get it running and, uh, and accomplish that. So, um, from that point, uh, when a position came open for a games questions expert, um, my TSR friends thought of me and urged me to apply for that. Mm-hmm. Blew me out, interviewed me, and so forth. And that's how I landed at TSR. That's fantastic. And did you relocate for that position? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had still I'd had my degree on hold for a while Mm -hmm. um life occurring and all that it Uh, does tend to do that (laughs) yeah so when the opportunity came up I was finishing up my degree and I literally did and presented my last project, my findings on an independent study I was doing in chemistry on synthesizing solid rocket fuel and, wow. and gave that. And the next day I was driving to Wisconsin. <laughs> wow. That's got to be a pretty exciting feeling. Oh, yes. Were you sad to not be going into the field of chemistry right away or, or were your guardians feeling that way at all? 
Um, I'm pretty sure that my mother was pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been, I worked at TSR for a number of years before she stopped saying, why don't you get a real job? <laughs> but she did stop. That's important. <laughs> yeah. She was rather disappointed. Um, you know, I'd had scholarships to go in for chemistry and all that. And uh, I took the TSR job because I could. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all there was to it. Like this opportunity isn't going to come by again. Chemistry will be there. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. Do, do you feel like there were uh, a lot of other females in your chemistry program in college? Or do you feel like you have been kind of an outlier in a gender way a lot of the time in your adult life? Uh, that's pretty much been my adult life, yes. Yeah, it's and really... From the time I got into D&D, there weren't exactly a lot of girl DMs around either, even no girl kidding. players. Right. Even today, there aren't very many especially as far as uh, GMs or DMs, that's some of my favorite games have had female dungeon masters or game masters, but they are relatively rare in my experience. Yeah. yeah. I was one of the guys from, from the get go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it definitely seems like you have been a bit of a trailblazer in that way. Um, and it's cool too, that you, came in as an expert like you were hired into a position with expert like in the title essentially right it actually was <laughs> in the title yeah and, and I did that for a number of years answering all of the consumer mail with game questions because nobody really knew what to do with this pile of mail <laughs> right I see so, so I got to I got to um have weekly or bi-weekly uh, talks with the designers of all the different game systems. Um, if there was stuff that I couldn't answer, I would, I had pretty free access to them and uh, could get answers when I needed to, along with lots and lots of history as well. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And, and having a reason to go to them, like question specific, I'm sure that's really exciting fuel for, you're not just going in the, there to geek out or like try to learn from them it's like no you're on a fact-finding mission about something so i'm sure that sparked a lot of really compelling conversations or at least i imagine it would spark some good conversations oh absolutely and for a while um that led to me writing the question and answer columns for dragon and for um polyhedron mm-hmm. so i always had had the fuel for that so I got to write for a while. That's awesome. What what was it like working in that environment back then? It it was awesome. It really was. Uh, <laughs> I would periodically stop and look around and think, I'm getting paid to worry about the size and shape of a dragon's breath. <laughs> <laughs> How many people can say that? <laughs> That's a great question. And I bet that appeals to the scientific you know science explorer in you as well of these are questions that maybe haven't been asked before like it's a a pioneering effort I mean in in this geeky subculture but one that matters a ton to a lot of people and Mm -hmm. you're right on the front lines of exploration there you're right on the the frontier yes and uh yeah there was there were a lot of dates like that um and of course I helped with conventions and 
uh, I was I was there in the early days of the RPGA network, if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. Role-Playing Game Association. And eventually, um, I was asked to take that over as well. Yeah. Was that a huge undertaking, or did it feel like that in the moment? Or was it just kind of another thing there thrown on your plate? Well, it did feel like it at the time. Um, I actually had an employee an employee under me for a very short period um, as game questions expert before they reorganized, which was really a favorite hobby among the upper management. Reorganize. Okay. <laughs> Makes them feel okay, important. This person's going over here. This person's going to do that. Uh, we're eliminating that position. And there was a lot of that mm -hmm. um, over the years. But I took on the RPGA, became head of the RPGA network. I had been a member even back in Ohio. Um, hmm. My RPGA card, which is probably still around here somewhere, uh, was double digit, two digits. Wow. So I was one of the first hundred. <laughs> How cool is that? And that there wasn't necessarily, not, not a lack of foresight, but we don't need more than two digits right now. Like that's that's okay. good enough. How cool is that? I'm curious if you have other um, relics or mementos from that, from those early days that, that are significant to you or are, are kind of interesting artifacts um, that you've been able to hold on to. I do. I have some. Um, actually, I think that my favorite one is uh, the second edition. Would have been the DMG, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, signed by Gary Gygax. And the reason that it is significant is that um, he was at my house for dinner when he signed that. Wow. He and uh, Gail, his wife, um, had come over for dinner. At that time, I was, I was going with Frank Menser and uh, living with him. And Frank, of course, had Gary's ear on quite a lot of things and so we spent a lot of time with Gygax's mm -hmm. had him over for Indian curry and um Gary signed my book that is so cool signed it with something about the great dinner <laughs> oh that's a great compliment very cool yes. what was it like working with him I've I've you know obviously there's a lot of of stories a lot of people have great memories I'm curious what your experience was in that obviously you didn't hate the guy because you had him over for dinner and stuff um it was always a positive experience mm -hmm. i really enjoyed um interacting with him he had a uh a routine with new employees that he met every new employee had them come down to his office at the time and uh chatted with them for a while and i i definitely remember that one um going to his office and Brian Bloom was also there in the office when I went in you know the the blooms at all mm -hmm. um and I don't remember exactly what it was that I said but Brian asked me some question or other and I gave him a snarky answer it really was, and I don't remember what it was, mm -hmm. but Gary 
started to chuckle and laugh <laughs> into his ear. Just could not contain himself. <laughs> and, and Brian was giving him a dark look and and me a dark look. And it was it was pretty hysterical. And from then on, you know, Gary and I did have a friendship. I'm glad to hear that. That's really cool. Well, how long were you, uh, did you work at TSR? Oh gosh, I worked there until um, Lorraine had taken over. Um, so I worked there pretty much until the takeover. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when I left. I gotcha. Uh, and when I left, it was to go to Gary's new company, New Infinities. Nice. That's awesome. You wanted me there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So that friendship, that connection stayed true through a long time. That's really cool. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There was, uh, there was a lot there. Um, I can remember when Gary lived at Stone Manor um, and would have meetings with uh, the international people, sometimes Andre Moulin and such folks uh, at the swimming pool on the roof of the manor. <laughs> I can remember wow. being up there. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That sounds like a really cool setting for a meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm curious, uh, uh, do you know uh, approximately how many employees there were when you started at TSR versus how many there were when you ended up leaving? I'm, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I remember that uh, the early days there, the employees fit pretty neatly into the receiving area where uh, we had some of our um, full staff meetings. And I remember times when they would have to get a product out and they pulled pretty much all the staff down to assembly to actually physically put the products together. And I was on the line from time to time for that. Wow. So it was, uh, it was a unique experience and one that I would not have missed for the world. It's really cool. I mean, you are really lucky as in it's a very rare opportunity, but also I'm sure it was a lot, a lot of work and you were pioneering in a lot of ways. It wasn't like there was a handbook on how to do any, uh, or most of the things you ended up doing there. It's really it's really cool that that ability to figure out what needs to be done, figure out how to do it and then go do it. Like that sounds really ideal and, and almost it can be kind of romanticized like a role-playing game or something where it's, here's the problem. And then it's completely up to the players to decide amongst themselves how they're going to solve it and then see if they can actually handle it. But it sounds like you were a, a very successful person in those roles. Oh, I I would say I was. Um, And I think that part of my success uh, then and now has been the fact that I had so many connections. My Mm -hmm. first days as game questions expert let me get to know pretty much everyone in the company. Right. And I could immediately figure out who I needed help from on Mm -hmm. any thing and get it. Right. And and all the the work for conventions and it sounds like you're pretty uh generous with your time as far as showing up for those things and taking on additional responsibilities i'm sure that made you a lot of friends within the industry and was helpful for 
for networking. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, when I had the RPA, that was also when we did um, a few things that expanded it. We, um, well, I took the polyhedron newsine up to 32 pages and um, a bi-monthly schedule and managed to get that uh, on the road. And I would ask my, my friends, uh, we started including a, an adventure module with every issue. Mm -hmm. I would ask people to write that. Zeb, do you have anything you can contribute? Oh yeah, well, I had this one thing that I ran in the dark, in the black hours. It was kind of interesting and okay, give. And, <laughs> and I would edit that. And that's how I got started as an editor, mm -hmm. editing all of the material for Polyhedron. And, uh, and it was, I wanted that to be a, a fan-based thing. So we started getting contributions from the membership and I started making the connections there with um, various members and and pulling from them and then started a tournament program for the conventions where the um, RPGA would contribute tournaments for big conventions. They were sort of already doing that, but implemented um, sort of a brainchild of Frank Menser's that uh, got developed and better honed. Um, so the RPGA tournaments were scored by a voting system because we were the role-playing game association. Uh, instead of promoting an entire team based on a big discussion between the DMs uh, at the end of each round for which team did the best, we would promote individuals from every team. Wow. By having the entire team and the GM vote. on. So it was kind of like all-stars sort yeah. of thing where they won from each game or one from each group could potentially get usually about two from each group. that's so cool and we would have like six players every team at the end would reveal what their character backgrounds were and what they were supposed to do mm -hmm. and the entire team would vote on who the best who the top three players were in their opinion and they were allowed to vote for themselves mm -hmm. um but then we would uh score it by tick marks so it's look at the ballots. Okay, this person voted for that individual in first place, so he gets three marks. That individual in second place gets two marks. Third place gets one mark. And then we would do that with all the ballots and figure out who the top two players were with the most marks. And they would go on to the next round and be reshuffled with new players. So, Was the story uh, within the role-playing game cohesive between rounds and, and switching your party? Because I, I imagine that would be kind of an interesting thing from a storytelling perspective. You're in a party of six and two of you ascend to somewhere else and then get combined with others. Well, usually it was the same characters from yeah. round to round. That wasn't always true, but it was different players taking the characters. Right. Um, so it would be the same story, like another chapter of the, the saga. Mm -hmm. uh, and you might have different equipment. You might have... Um, different situations and such but the relationships between the characters would stay the same um that wasn't always quite true we had some interesting uh some interesting ideas that came up for 
the various tournaments. I remember one of them, um, people were playing intelligent items carried by the characters. They were playing as an item? Yes. Wow. And they were <laughs> running their, their person. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's very unique. Things that were very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote or co-wrote a number of those events as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friend Skip Williams wrote um, a few of them with me. Wow. So. And so the characters were pre-created. The players would come there and, and be handed a card, essentially. Mm-hmm. Wow. How cool. I, I'm curious, too, the connection between you and Skip. Was he at TSR before you were, I imagine? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. And then yeah, you were friends. co-workers. After, because I know you met at that convention uh, in at some Virginia. point in West Virginia. Yeah. And then you ended up making the move over to TSR and. Yeah. The second time we met, we actually remember was at a Gen Con at uh, Kenosha Parkside. And, uh, and from there uh, helping out at various Gen Cons and other game conventions. And, uh, and he was one of the people who recommended me for the game questions expert position. But shortly after I got to TSR, he got fired. Hmm. a couple of years so um but the friendship was there and we continued on and of course he went back to tsr at, at some point i gotcha and at some point you took his last name is that right well we got married yes oh okay okay <laughs> minor detail no that's that is so cool I, it's really neat to see um when couples can be very passionate about their career and that can bring them together. Like, I feel like that's a unique thing. You don't see that often, but it's so cool when it happens. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So very the cool. tournament program expanded and at some point um, we decided, well, um, we decided to take it to uh, other kinds of games because the members like to play more than just D&D mm-hmm. and DSR games. So said, why not? Reached out to some of the other game companies. Uh, would you like to contribute a tournament for this convention? And uh, so then the RPGA tournaments were expanded to um, Shadowrun and Call of Cthulhu and various other popular games. And made it available to smaller game conventions. Um, just write in, you can apply for an RPGA tournament. Here's the rules for running one. You have to mm-hmm. give us the results. Um, and suddenly there was a whole um, bunch of people winning RPGA tournaments. And um, so what are we going to do? How are we going to uh, come up with a way to say you know, who's top players have gone to a lot of conventions and won a lot of tournaments. So then there were, we had to make the level system for actual players and GMs. There were t-shirts for that as to what, uh, what level player you had achieved. That's really cool. That kind of almost meta 
gamification can be so fun and so compelling of I want to get that t-shirt you know what I mean it gives you it's aspirational it gives you something to aim for next year you can hope to move up the rank so to speak like that's a that's a really fun thing I love that yeah and it uh it did seem to have the effect of encouraging travel to and participation in conventions large and small Mm -hmm. so well, how long did you stay involved with the RPGA? Pretty much until I left TSR when mm-hmm. uh, Lorraine Williams took over and kicked Gary out and he went to do Infinities. Right. And you went with him there. What was that experience with the new Infinities, a new frontier? That was a much, much smaller company. Yeah. Uh, it had a games division of essentially two people, me and Frank Messer <laughs> and a book division of essentially two people, Kim and Pamela Mohan, and uh, and a couple of um, office managers who mm-hmm. pretty much did everything, um, plus Gary and Don Turnbull. Um, so we had small office, um, rented out in Delavan for a while, and Constantly fighting with TSR for much of the um, the company's time because mm-hmm. uh, there were lawsuits and so forth, and I got to answer my first subpoena. And wow, it sounds really stressful, and like that would be a really emotional and and frustrating thing, being that you knew Gary so well and he was so heavily involved in all of that. That I'm sure it's hard to separate out and yeah it sounds like that was not very fun it wasn't it wasn't um Mm -hmm. we had uh we had worked out some of the the statistics and um the legalities and worked with the the lawyers got to see some pretty posh lawyers offices (laughs) i bet one of those Boy, am I in the wrong business kind of right. They all have fools on top of their manners, you know. Much, yeah. Um, but then the company put out its uh its flagship game, uh, Cyborg Commando, and a novel line that went with that. And um, you know, it wasn't the kind of great hit that D and D was, but it was a pretty pretty fun game and Mm -hmm. i had had fun working with that and pretty much handling all of the editing from start to finish plus you know art commissioning and package design and everything wow so because it was me and a designer and that was about it Uh, yeah yeah had edited gary a number of times before so um that worked out worked out fine um and then eventually new infinities folded and i moved on to uh believe it or not writing resumes for a living huh that's interesting i mean there's money in that huh there was mm-hmm. hated to work hated yeah not but- nearly as compelling is it <laughs> writing about real people and boring reality stuff that they that already happened it had moments mm-hmm. um 
but one of the things that was pretty annoying about it was nobody ever with very few exceptions nobody ever comes to get a resume written when they have a lot of time for it that's fair it's oh my (laughs) brother-in-law told me about this job opening and i need a resume in you know four hours oh my gosh (laughs) oh no oh yeah um wow plus i was never very happy in direct sales and that was part of that job Mm-hmm. have to have to sell them your work mm-hmm. they come in wanting to pay 20 for a one page rap sheet as it were and no this is not going to get you anywhere think bigger yeah so oh man that's tricky and this is in like the early 90s would you say this time period mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think New Infinity's closed in '89, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I gotcha. Where did your career go from there? Well, I was also still tutoring. Oddly enough, um, throughout my entire career, I had always found a way to teach, no matter what other job I was doing. <laughs> it sounded like you were pretty busy there for a while. So when I ran the resume offices, I ended up with a client um, who wanted me not to do resumes, but to transcribe um, class notes, um, recordings for her children in college. And they were taking organic chemistry. So I was pretty good at that mm-hmm. and got pretty interested and went back to school. Cool. And... Uh, got into the graduate program at um, Marquette University. So I taught some labs there. I was there for probably four or five years um, living in the, the Milwaukee area. And so had had some teaching there. What did my appetite for that? My mother had been a first grade teacher and I always sort of had the teaching bug. That's cool. And even though I hated little kids. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Luckily, there's different age groups you can teach, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's only so much. He's touching me that you can really deal with. <laughs> yeah. Classroom management is not very fun. <laughs> so primary grades were not really my thing, but I really love the older kids. Mm-hmm. So from there, Skip and I got got along, um, resume work for a while. And then we went to, um, then Skip got the call to go to, uh, Watsi. And so we pulled up stakes from Lake Geneva and moved across the country. And Skip says, um, if you look hard, you can still see the, the twin ruts in the ground that my heels dug when he dragged me from Wisconsin. <laughs> The west coast <laughs> yeah that that's a bummer and i guess wizards of the coast uh is located on the coast so you do have to move all the way over there from mm-hmm. yeah this classic midwest yeah home so uh we moved out there and for about five years um i kept my clock on central time oh 
Wow. But when we got out there, he went to work for Watsi and um, I started tutoring. So I gotcha. The tutoring service out there mm-hmm. uh, went around to um, various privileged Seattle area houses and tutored their kids in science, math, sometimes even other things, English and history and so forth. Wow. Um, and ended up with uh, a lot of referrals and did work for the, the company that had hired me and also uh, my own clients and mm-hmm. ended up with a pretty good tutoring business there for a while. Uh, finally, Watsi was hiring for a games editor and uh, went and interviewed with Sue Weinlein, passed my editing test, got hired in there, um, worked for her and for Kim Mohan, who was the managing editor. And of course, I knew Kim pretty well from New Infinity, so mm-hmm. that worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, ended up being, among other things, line editor for the new Marvel game that they came out with. Cool. Um, so I got to work with even more closely than I had at uh, TSR with the Marvel bullpen on that licensed product. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, was line editor for their Star Wars game. Um, Man, you had to play in a lot of really cool uh, kingdoms there. That's that's pretty sweet. Yes. And I remember somewhere I still have this. This is another one of the uh, pieces of memorabilia that I, I have. Mm-hmm. They, uh, when the Star Wars game came out, they gave the team that had worked on it each a personal copy of the book inscribed in gold foil with your name on the cover. Wow. That's a, that's a tasteful gift. That's really my cool. copy of the book that says Penny Willems. <laughs> wow. Brutal. <laughs> that's a misprint though. It's more valuable technically, you know, <laughs> they, they asked if uh, I wanted them to replace it. And I said, no, no, there's just something about having the lead editor's name spelled wrong. On the <laughs> that they didn't run that past you, did they? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really fun. Wow, that's a truly a one-of-a-kind item right there. Yes, yes it is. That's um, fantastic. So working for Watsi was in some ways similar to TSR and in some ways not. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, that they used to have mandatory fun days. <laughs> is that what they're called? Yes, they call oh them. Oh my gosh. And of course. Um, Are they as fun as they sound? <laughs> not usually, but sometimes we manage to make them so. Right. You can ironically have fun at those, I guess. <laughs> what a strange name or, or concept. Um, actually, the fun days were more when Hasbro had bought out the company. That makes sense. And, and in those days, Fun Days always had the Mr. Potato Head logo. But yeah, for Watsi and later Watsi is a division of Hasbro. Um, did a lot of interesting things. Uh, worked on a lot of games. I ended up, before I left in the managing editor's office, me and Kim Mohan um, pretty much handling uh, supervision of all the editing for the games. 
and all the, wow. the blue lines and the proofing and such. Cool. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. Were you still in touch with, with Gary Gygax at this point? Not really. Um, I was, I didn't, I didn't see very much of him anymore. Mm-hmm. And then uh, had a good run at Watsy. When Hasbro bought it out, there was several rounds of downsizing. Yep. And uh, eventually they got me and Skip. And we had kind of prepared for that. Yeah. Uh, before that, there was a great deal of um, attempts similar to ones that TSR had made to determine how to get women into gaming. Mm-hmm. And so I was tapped many times for, for that. What is the mysterious thing that women want from games? Yeah. Uh, we want to have fun. Um, <laughs> it's not hard. There's know? not a special secret sauce. It doesn't have to be a certain color or use certain words. Everybody or... <laughs> was pretty sure that there was a secret sauce. And that, uh, oh my gosh. You could just find it somehow and, mm-hmm. and do that. Um, but that's been a recurrent theme ever since the tsr days yeah i mean i kind of did my part back in the tsr days i actually ran a beginner's game for women at the company and had a good time that's neat from from what i read i think there's a kind of an oral history of women at tsr i believe it's on polygon.com and it seemed like a lot of the the early female hires there didn't particularly have an interest in playing the games which it's hard to make a non-gamer into a gamer you know what i mean it's seems yeah. kind of like a fool's errand in a way um and someone can still support the company and work there and and give a lot to the company without being into the product itself like i don't really see why there has to be a connection there but um that's interesting that they had you lead some games as kind of an introductory thing so they could at least understand what's going on and kind of catch some more of the lingo potentially that's smart mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was that, and there was um I was there were more women in the editing department at that point. Um so things were I guess a little bit more equitable at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Seattle was a very good area for being equitable, so right it worked out. Um, still had a lot of contacts, still um, did a lot of uh, calling on people that I knew could do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted for a few years until they finally laid off me and Skip. We had prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there had been a large payout for the company for Pokemon. And we took that and bought a house in Wisconsin. Fantastic. Which we are still living in, mm-hmm. um, trying to keep it from falling down the hill here. <laughs> farmhouse. Really? We sunk some of the money into renovating. Um, and so when they, they did get us, uh, we were ready to go. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm glad you're, you're both ready. There weren't any rut marks on the way heading east <laughs> right back to the midwest that's great 
Very cool. And then when you landed back in the Midwest, is that when you switched into an education career? Yeah, that's, I didn't really go full-time into education. I should say that uh, while I was working at Watsi, I was still tutoring mm-hmm. and I was still, I actually uh, was doing teaching within the company. I was what they call a subject matter expert for uh, Excel because when uh, third edition came out, uh, my part of editing that was building a huge Excel spreadsheet to do monster stats and character stats. That's Um, awesome. The first character generator as it were, and it was in-house. And and the editors could all use that to check the stats of the critters. How cool is that? I just be still my heart. Like I, as such a a nerd for both Excel and accounting and stuff, but also games and computers, computer aided gaming or video games, all that stuff comes together in Excel right there. That is such a cool combo. I did such a deep dive into Excel. <laughs> um, okay, for this, I think we're going to, what can do this? Okay, count if can do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> wow. And, and then also- you can do some random generation with that, but yeah, it's it's a limited tool, but that's really impressive that you're able to do all that. I made it Excel. do a lot of things. And <laughs> at the time, Excel could still run macros. Uh-huh. That's useful. <laughs> I would finish the stat block that we were working on. I would hit the button and it would go through all that data, chunk it down, copy it into uh, cells, preordained cells at the bottom of the sheet and do a copy. And then once that's on the clipboard, go over to my file in Word, paste, Mm-hmm. And then run a macro in Word to take out all the spaces and paragraph marks put right. in here, here and here. Wow. And there's your stat block ready to be put in whatever document you want. How cool is that? Man, that's really awesome. That And then that can get turned over into the, the publishers or whoever's working on the page layout and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> You're a wizard of Excel self-taught wow i still don't know accounting (laughs) but but you're a subject matter expert in excel Yep. it must feel good to have pretty much every job you've had since college say has expert in the title somewhere (laughs) something like that that rules how fun we went back to wisconsin and uh for a while i pretty much made my living as a freelance editor getting work fed to me from Watsi mostly Mm -hmm. and a few other places and Skip of course had work as a freelancer as well and then I started uh, substitute teaching wasn't hard to get a permit and Mm -hmm. so I would go to all the schools around and substitute when I could yeah did you put in um some requests for specific grades to uh to teach um when i could it was mm-hmm. more 
at the time it was most of the schools used a program uh, that would give you a list of options for that day. Cool. And I was free to pick high school if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, picked up a couple of long-term sub positions when schools got to know me mm-hmm. and uh, ended up working with special ed for a long term. Um, I wasn't qualified in special ed, but they knew me. And, yeah. And I had subbed in that area a lot. Wow. And, uh, and then there was, I still picked up some of the primaries and some of it wasn't so bad, mm-hmm. but definitely preferred the high schools. Right. I, I substitute taught kindergarten once and first grade once, and then never again after that, like two second I grade and up. Saint, I don't know how she got through 36 and a half Isn't years that amazing? An entire career. It is. Yeah. Saint is a good word for it. It's just wild. <laughs> I, I can handle any high school or you throw at me, but very, very few elementary school students. Yeah. Yeah. There is that. Uh-huh. Yeah. What a challenge. Um, so from there, um, various teachers that I got to know um, in my various long-term commitments mm-hmm. uh, urged me to go ahead and get my license. So I went through an alternative program mm-hmm. uh, to get my license and uh, went on and got several licenses. Right. And, it's a lot of science. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And now I'm at my um, third school started out in a rural southwestern Wisconsin uh, high school and then taught four years there went to an international private boarding school that was starting up in northern Wisconsin wow and that was an amazing experience really Mm -hmm. was Um, it was like there weren't that many students there were maybe 50 or 60 by a couple of years in, mm-hmm. but they were from everywhere. You could, you could walk down the hall and hear 11 languages being spoken. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, that was great. And I was the only science teacher. There was pretty much all of us were the only whatever teacher there. <laughs> wow. um, so I got to build the science department by myself. I got to purchase everything. I got to, mm-hmm. Um, do curriculum for all the courses and that was it was truly awesome I also ran a game club there um, cool and taught some game design classes Mm -hmm. there and that was that was really great Uh, only problem was it was three hours from my home oh I ended up having to rent a small house um, in that town Ladysmith during the week and go home on weekends oh my gosh a lot of yeah that's care. that's a challenge holy cow so uh, I still have contact with some of those students mm-hmm. and um, just got a package from one today he sent me a piece of his artwork wow oh my god that's amazing the the thing that survived has survived from my previous career as a teacher is the artwork artwork from students is the the main thing I've kept you know I've got a couple yearbooks and stuff but Mm -hmm. the artwork can really stay with you it can be it's it's fantastic stuff that's so meaningful I love actually in a 
a national award-winning artist now he went on to a different uh, high school to finish up and uh, wow art and <laughs> in college for art wow he was from vietnam what an impact you must have made you know <laughs> yeah and um it was pretty amazing especially in classes like environmental science uh, mm-hmm. getting the global perspective yeah so environmental issues does your country have <laughs> right well has the black river where things uh you know it's so toxic that a dog falls into it and just dies you know i'm sure that is an amazing learning experience as one of those students too it's not just look at these amazing sites from around the world in a textbook it's listen to the story that my friend has seen with his own eyes exactly holy a, moly there was the presentation from the student from Kazakhstan, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, about the Aral Sea and how that's kind of dried up. And she says, well, you see, we came up with this great idea that we would sell our water to other countries and then buy it back from them because we were so smart. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. What a cool experience that was. Yes, it really was. And I was Mm -hmm. sad to go, but yeah, but that's a really hard distance and also having to pay for rent (laughs) while you also own a home. Yeah. What really did it was my coming down suddenly with rheumatoid arthritis and, and that made it a lot more difficult to live alone. Right. And uh, I was just in terrible pain most of the time. And it wasn't working to be away from home. So right. I came wow. back and got a job back in public school mm-hmm. um, at Adams Friendship High School, where I still am, and uh, just finished my fourth year there. And they, uh, they have been pretty wonderful. And since then, I've had both knees replaced and an ankle fused. And uh, I'm on my way to being the bionic woman. well how's your pain level compared to how it was at your previous school pretty good um Mm -hmm. i get around pretty well now i'm starting to walk short distances without a cane so Mm -hmm. um it's really really come a long way still working on the shoulders Mm -hmm. that'll be next but wow it's this has been such a cool conversation and hearing your entire story and what an impact one human can make it's it's pretty fantastic i I really appreciate your time and and telling us all the stories wow so my game club there at uh, adam's friendship now um another rural high school Mm -hmm. um has been pretty amazing. There was a game club there already when I got there, run by uh, one of the biology teachers and Marie Vanderhoof and uh, Mike Parham, a math teacher who uh, is also a judge for Magic the Gathering tournaments. Cool. So he's really, really good at that. Mm-hmm. Over time, um, Anne Marie's no longer there. And I sort of inherited the club and Mike still helps out when he can, but so it's pretty much 
uh, devolved to me. And the, um, the kids just are amazing. It is, it is the hangout for the nerds and geeks, of course. Yep. We always have been. Always will be. Yeah. I love that. And we've gotten a lot of space in the school yearbooks over recent years with cool done. We take field trips to local game conventions and to um, the Renaissance fair. Cool pictures from that. And our membership's up to probably 25 kids. Holy moly. And are, is it a lot of role-playing games or more board games or what kinds of stuff are they into? Most of them prefer role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, largely because of the sense of community that those give and the cooperative yeah. nature of the game. Mm-hmm. That We do have a pretty big game closet uh, with some interesting things in it. And of course, they'll play Uno if they have nothing else to do for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to where we have to run sometimes two different campaigns at a time. Um, and Do you have that many players in the same game? No, we uh, usually stick to between four and eight players in a given session for mm-hmm. a particular campaign. Almost all of the regular kids... Um, have at least one campaign of their own now wow and they just they just get the dming bug and some of them make up their own game systems so wow one of (laughs) one of our game club alumni has come up with a um game called auto gale which is um alternate earth near future present and near future um with tanks and mecha cool and we're on our way to getting that ready to publish i'll probably do a kickstarter for that one of the i'm making him write the entire thing first <laughs> that's amazing do you know any uh, editors that'd be able to help make sure that the t's are all crossed oh there might be one of those um <laughs> this actually is a senior project for a class called uh Tima which is a sort of a technical class, but they could do projects on anything. So we put together uh, the bare bones of his rules as an actual book. I, uh, mm-hmm. I know how to bind books. So actually made him a bound copy or two. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, and got one of my artist friends to um, give us a break on cost of doing cover art for it. And we made a book jacket. Wow. Oh, that's so special. That's really cool. (laughs) Wow. Well, yeah, you'll have to keep us posted about the Kickstarter. If that starts, I'd love to spread the word about that. Yes. That's really fun. And uh, so Giant Lands uh, came along and wanted to help out my old friend, Jim Ward. Mm-hmm. One since Morgantown. Uh, Jim and I had a few adventures at conventions as well. And uh, so got involved in that as editor. And there were a few rough patches along the way with that. But you know what? My game club kids play tested it. That's cool. Wow. Rules changes that uh, 
I thought needed to be made and mm -hmm. um, gave the results to Jim and Stephen and uh, they agreed to incorporate those. So wow, like five of my game club kids have their names in giant lands. <laughs> Thanks. That's kind of, yeah, that's, that's the dream of what a high school games club can do. But I feel like it's so rare that they get to be behind the curtain and, and play test a game, first of all. But second of all, be able to give feedback and be listened to. Like, what a cool combo. Yep. I feel like, yeah, you're, you're such a resource for those, those kids. And you have so many connections. That's it's a really cool thing. It's really uh, special. For my game design classes, which are always full, um, mm -hmm. I... I call on my connections to um, have industry people Skype in and mm -hmm. talk with them about various parts of the process. Wow. That is so lucky. That's. What my Skyrim? Well, here's Ed Stark. Um... <laughs> that, yeah. What a special experience. And, and your students might not even appreciate how, how unique that is. I mean, hopefully they do appreciate that right now, but well, I'm sure that with time they will. Yeah. Um, every new class eventually gets uh, introduced to the fact by me or by other teachers that I am a Marvel superhero. Really? I've been, I didn't know that. I've been trademarked by Marvel Comics. Wow. There is an ancient polyhedron. Um, I'll have to get you the number, but... Uh, <laughs> It's one of the double-digit polyhedron newsines uh, where our module of the month was um, She Rampage, where, now this, this module, mind you, was written by um, Tom Robertson and Susan Lawson, Tom Robertson being the founder of the RPGA. And I got to tell you a secret here, Tom Robertson never existed. Ooh, is he a nom de plume? He is like Betty Crocker, Thomas S. Robertson, T.S.R. Oh, interesting. He was in wow. by Frank Menser to be huh. president of the uh, <laughs> Wow. And I, I used him as a, uh, as a nom de plume for a few things over the years. Um, so I was Tom Robertson. And Susan Lawson was Roger Moore of Dragon Magazine. Nice. So Roger <laughs> came to me with this idea for this Marvel module and said, um, I want you to co-write this with me. I said, okay. And I want you to be one of the characters. And I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was going to be all female characters. And uh, we had, let's see, She-Hulk, Valkyrie, Thundra, Tigra, Spider Woman, and Lucky Penny. Wow. And so I was that an original character, I guess, at that point, huh? Yes. And the rule was <laughs> that since it was a licensed product, we were allowed to um, come up with new material and new heroes, but Marvel had to own their trademarks mm -hmm. just in case they ever wanted to use them. Yeah. Which, of course, they didn't, but... Um, <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but Lucky Penny was uh, um, a mutant who uh, had some editing powers. 
and worked as an editor for some um, some role playing game company called D20 or something like that, and uh, and editing powers included basically things like um, editing the powers of other heroes up or down. Oh, wow. And um, unnoticeability because you shouldn't see the editor's hand in what's going on. So yeah. you could go places and people would forget that she was there. That is fascinating. I mean, that would make for a really cool show on Disney Plus or something, mm-hmm. you know? It sounds like a relatable character and kind of an underdog power set, but it's actually super powerful. Mm-hmm. And that was that was old TSR and the old mm-hmm. Marvel game. And um, Lucky Penny was trademarked. And also um, the name of the character at the time was Penny Petticord. That was my name at the time, except that it was spelled slightly differently for the trademark. And, um, and that name was also trademarked. So as well image in the the book drawn by Roger Raup. Huh. And um, so I have a copy of that issue that I trot out uh, from time to time as a daily observation for my classes. Was there an illustration as well of that character? Oh, yes. Yes. How cool is that? (laughs) A real life Marvel superhero. I've never got to talk to one before. <laughs> so I am a trademark Marvel superhero. That is fantastic. <laughs> Man. Wow, you are full of surprises. That... Say that about their science teacher. <laughs> and my um my entire wing at the high school is pretty geeked out by that. I bet and from time to time the math and the science departments. Well, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. What a fascinating story. You've been in the room for so many incredible things. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And, and really, um, I'm not that famous as me, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, my name's on a lot of stuff, but I'm not a designer and most people don't know it and that's okay. You do have powers of unnoticeability. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my main superpower is that I know people. Yeah. And and I've been friends with an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what I can pull on for my students. That is so cool. They keep me young. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And it feels like that power, that networking ability of yours has been key to your success the whole time and also has kind of been self-perpetuating as well. Follow, like allowing you to go from position to position, state to state, and career to career, even. That is so cool. Yes. Wow. Well, awesome. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sitting down for this interview and sharing all these stories. This is really cool. Um, do you, I know that you travel to conventions with your club. Um, do you have any plans on going to any conventions this year coming up? Yeah. Um, we were going to go to nexus but that didn't quite work out um we will definitely go to game hole con in the fall Mm -hmm. in madison i will be going i plan to go to gen con this year to work with my friend dan the bard which i have been doing for years now took about three years off for pandemic and knee replacements Mm -hmm. but uh 
but Dan was an entertainer at the Bristol Renaissance Fair and still is. And his thing is writing um, geek songs to ancient melodies. Wow. That's so, um, cool. And what, he writes what's your role song. there? I'm essentially his manager for game conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, dragged him to Gen Con along with uh, his boss from the Ren Fair, who also performs at Gen Con. And um, I run his booth and uh, take care of his sales and support him at his concerts at the convention and so forth and do all the money. And I also make t-shirts for some of his songs. I saw that one. <laughs> the shirt says, have you hugged your, is it an owlbear today? An owlbear, yes. And that has a check owl. yes or no. <laughs> uh-huh. That's one of his songs, the owlbear song. That's awesome. And uh, you can find him, if you Google Dan the Bard, you can find a number of the videos of his D&D songs. He's got like nine or ten CDs of them now. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. That sounds great. And yeah, I'm lucky to live in Indianapolis, so I'll definitely be at, at Gen Con this year and excited to get back into it. Pretty cool. Yeah, well, we'll see you there. Yeah, and- I'll come find that booth. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'll let you get on with your evening. Thank you, Penny, for being on the show, and thank you to the audience for listening. Together, I hope we can find new places within the imagination where we can grow and expand our understanding of what it means to be human. Most of what you see is an illusion. You may stay. The time is now.